Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, and in this episode, which is this the first episode of the year? This is it. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. This is a new year. 2023. Which yeah. is, and as Andy frantically motions for Tim to start the clock. <laughs> it's going, it's going. <laughs> Gone. Okay. Uh, the poor listeners, if we don't start our timer. Yeah, that was a New Year's resolution. Uh, <laughs> always start the timer. You're horrendous. <laughs> so here's you what we're going to do in this episode. So in this season, season six, we are going to take four episodes and walk through the four loves by C.S. Lewis. So before we do that, we're going to have an episode, which is this episode, where we talk about why would you read C.S. Lewis in the first place? Like, why is he valuable to read? Maybe what are some problems you might have to think through? Uh, or considerations like, why why would you read C.S. Lewis? Why would you read through the four loves? What value is there? Uh, so I think what we're going to do to start is we're going to go around and we're going to share our favorite C.S. Lewis book or work, and uh, maybe why. And Tim's, uh, I think, looking for some quote action too. So is that what we're doing? I think so. Do you want me to do a quick biography? Like yeah. a five-minute biography a little, for, our, uh, for our listeners? We could do that. Give and us then... some bio information. So listeners, so C.S. Lewis is an Anglican from England. He was born in like 1903 or 1908, one of those two dates. And so he grew up in Belfast, Ireland. And at eight years old, he went off to boarding school, which was very average to normal at that time period. Um, his mother will end up dying of cancer, I believe, when he's either 9, 10, or 11. It's pretty young. And he loved his mother. Didn't really get along well with his dad. It wasn't that they fought a lot. His dad was just kind of a fakey salesman, lawyer kind of guy. And Lewis never felt like he could just be himself. He always had to say just the right thing. And so in the midst of this kind of crisis of losing his mom and being at boarding school, which is horrid, um, he walks away from Christianity and he ends up getting confirmed in the Anglican church. I believe, I believe he's 18. No, I think that's Richard Dawkins who was confirmed 18 and he was an atheist, but I think Lewis, it's very similar. He, he said he, he took the communion, his first communion, maybe it is, even though he knew he was an atheist because he didn't want to upset his dad. And from that point on, he, he kind of walks away. He goes to school. He lives as an atheist. He gets conscripted to go to World War I. And he makes a treaty with reality where he says, fine, I'll go serve my country. I'll give him my blood, maybe even my life. But I won't give him that a day sooner. And so nine months later, he's set to ship out. So he doesn't read any news on World War I. He goes to World War I. And uh, it's pretty gruesome. He gets injured at one point, goes home. And after that, he's going to go to Oxford, which he wasn't able to make it in before World War I because he wasn't good at math. But after World War I, so many guys died that they need students and they let him in. And so he studies there. He's a great, very intellectual guy, ends up teaching there and ends up meeting a, another guy who would be an author one day. Owen Barfield. Yeah. And so those two, well, I think him and then he also met another guy, Charlie, who's the other guy? Charles Williams. Yeah. And then he met a third guy. Hugo Dyson. Oh, come on. Get to Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Charlie knows quite a bit about the Inklings. 
And uh, so anyways, all of these guys end up functioning to challenge his atheism. And I believe, wasn't it, was it Tolkien or was it Barfield? I thought it was Tolkien that he credited. Uh, I, it's, I it's, it depends now. who you talk to. Okay. I think probably Tolkien is one of the more profound conversations that they had along the Addison way. I remember that. That, one, that was, yeah. that was a very profound conversation with Tolkien. But I think as far as like a, a steady friend who's been challenging him for years, Barfield yeah. would fill that role as well. And Tolkien, uh, essentially Lewis becomes a convert to Christianity again. And Tolkien is actually kind of saddened because he doesn't become a Catholic. He becomes an Anglican. And that's a little bit, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was kind of a sore spot for a little while between them. I not like, uh, they, it's not like they didn't talk, but Tolkien was a little hurt. So Lewis will have his, he's an academic. He teaches for a long time and he writes books. Um, he does a number of talks on the radio <sighs> called the broadcast talks. And those talks end up becoming the book Mere Christianity. He does some apologetic stuff in that book and some others. Then he begins to write fiction works and other essays. And eventually he dies on the same day that John F. Kennedy is assassinated. And so his name does not hit the news uh, because Kennedy's assassination obviously outshines him, but it's the same day. So that's the life of C.S. Lewis. He was an Anglican his whole life, although at the end, I think we would say he was leaning. He was almost like a Catholic kind of an Anglican. He, he He's on that side of the Anglican Catholic church. He had some very Catholic-like practices at the yeah. end of his life. So. so, now let's talk favorite books. Tim, do you have a favorite C.S. Lewis book that you enjoy? And listener, uh, we're going to get to why we would read this guy, so hang with us. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to pick Screwtape Letters. Ooh. Uh, I was uh, vacillating between a few. I don't have a Lewis book that really kind of shines bright uh, over all of the others. Uh, but I think uh, Screwtape Letters, I like how, how he um, just depicts the demons and uh, how um, how the, the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, seek to lead people away from the Lord. Uh, so... Um, yeah, so that was the book that I decided to go with was uh, Screw Tape Letters uh, for my favorite C.S. Lewis book. Interesting thing, I've only read it once, but um, but yeah, I like it. I'm gonna pick a fiction title of his, That Hideous Strength. I just oh. love that book. I okay. like it because he depicts uh, the the ideas of another essay that he writes. And I like the way he develops characters. I like the story. I like that you have a modern versus postmodernism going on and you have the pre-modern thought going on in there too. Actually, it's more like pre-modern versus modern. Sorry. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's a great story, but not everyone enjoys it. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Although I think I owe you a bag of coffee, Charlie, if you've read it three times since season one, because I think we made that wager back in the day. So I really like that one. And uh, that's what I would say is probably my favorite. But I was almost going to pick Screw Tape Letters too. Really? Yeah, that was my first real C.S. Lewis read. Oh, like full through. I don't think I've read it three times. I've certainly listened to it, um, but not read. So I okay. love it. <clears throat> um, and those are two different. Actions. I know we don't need to go through it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> listener, it, uh, never mind. It was first just, episode of the year. Keep going. We got one punch in. <laughs> One at a time. Uh, I I don't know what I would say. It's so hard <laughs> to pick one. I really figured is. you'd have one. 
what surprised by joy my, what do you think surprised by joy no it's definitely oh, not that that's my favorite that would be my favorite nonfiction title i love surprised by joy um i'm trying to think like things that i've mentioned he probably wants to pick a series like the chronicles of narnia <laughs> uh no if i was gonna pick something from the chronicles of narnia i think there'd be like you'd pick a book I, I, I think the, the thing that I've referenced the most is probably The Abolition of Man. Yeah, that mm-hmm. one was uh, the one I was thinking of considering just because it's the one I've read and worked through yeah. and taught the most. But I still, it's kind of hard to wade through. But we're not playing the game of what's the most helpful. Right. We're playing the game of which one do I like the most. Yeah, whatever mm-hmm. that means. And I would say probably... Uh, I think the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is in its own realm, like it, for of like a story. Like I don't, so it's. I feel like that's like the easy pick. And so, if I was going to pick something from Narnia, I think it would be the Horse and His Boy. Oh, that's so probably good. my favorite of that's the so others. Good. But I of the the space trilogy, I just love that first book. I don't know why. Out of the Silent Planet. I can't oh. believe you two guys are picking two books out of this. They're trilogy. so good. No, they're not. Well, I, I, the Fifthful Triggy and the Swords yes, and think, the I think now. That, all you had to do is say all of those names, and then it illustrates why it's not that good. Yeah, I think, <laughs> but I think the you know if if you bring some of the other aspects into it, um, I, maybe one of the more meaningful books is probably The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, so like I I didn't grow up like knowing who Lewis was. I didn't grow up. Like I think most Christians either it was like his name was a curse word or like you had it all, you know, like, um, and so like, I think a lot of Christians that I've interacted with read Narnia as kids or had it read to them. I never had that experience. I didn't even know that it was in existence. And I came to college and obviously everyone at the Bible college is well aware of who C.S. Lewis is. And I really didn't interact with C.S. Lewis at all until I I can remember watching one of the movies that came out. Mm. And I can remember where I was when I watched it. It's really it was a Mexican restaurant, and a TV in the corner of the Mexican restaurant was playing uh, one of the. It was I think it was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the film that came out. Wow! And like the newer film, and yeah. um, and I was like, "What's that?" And that's kind of oh, that's whatever. And you're like, oh, you know, like that. So that's where you learn about it but it really wasn't until seminary i took a class exploring c.s lewis taught by andy Mm. where i was forced to read a lot of his stuff and i didn't come into it like oh c.s lewis because i didn't really know who he was i kind of knew who he was but i think from that um that's where i read the abolition of man for the first time and like had no idea what i was reading and you just you know (laughs) But like everybody who reads that the first time, <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a handful of, of iterations. But so I think, but then once you kind of understand who he is and you, you know, we read his biography by McGrath and mm-hmm. you kind of realize who this guy is and <clears throat> how influential and important this guy is. And you read mere Christianity and you're like, oh, he's a really good thinker. Mm-hmm. But then I still don't think I can ever replace as far as just affection when you read through the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you've never interacted with it yeah. before, mm-hmm. and you get to the point where Aslan is killed by the witch, and uh, the two girls are crying, but then the sun comes up and he, he raises from the dead. And there's no like you, you can't miss that. I got goosebumps. Like as as a Christian, like obviously it's it's a children's book. It's meant to be low hanging fruit. 
you just can't, the way that that stirred me the first time I read it, I'd probably have to pick that, but I feel like that's the sexy pick, you know, like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You gotta pick that one. And <laughs> <Why>? so, <laughs> so if you, if you take that one off the shelf for a Horrendous. moment, uh, I would probably either pick Out of the Silent Pan- Out of the Silent Planet, Horse and His Boy, or uh, Abolition of Man. So a very long, convoluted answer. Yeah. Okay, so I gotta go revise mine. So if I had to pick a nonfiction and a fiction, Oh, okay. Well, if we do that, the nonfiction is surprised by joy, hands down. But mm-hmm. I, I, if I had to pick a Narnia, I think it's, um, the silver chair now. Yeah. I thought Ooh, you were I really that. love that's my new chair. one. Like I didn't like that the first time I read it, but I recently read it and man, the onological argument and puddle glum and, but then the non, the nonfiction has to be, or the fiction has to be out of or, uh, that hideous strength for me. So, yeah, I, I, I really like Silver Chair too, because Puddle Glum as a character is one of my favorite characters. I know, and now he teaches here. That's great. That yeah, hideous strength is fiction. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. If oh, I, okay. Yeah, I said I think I mixed those up. Sorry. Yeah, and then there's you know it, what's funny is probably my favorite of the the space trilogies out of the Silent Planet. Annie's favorite is that hideous strength, and your favorite would probably be Paralandra, right? Yeah, I like Paralandra. See, and that's that, why that's a great one too. That's why we're so good as a podcast because we all like a different space trilogy. <laughs> I don't know how much I like it, but of all of them, <laughs> I like Paralander the best. It is really good. They're all good. Okay, so let's get into a discussion of why would someone read C.S. Lewis? What is the benefit? Positives. Lewis helps you think. Uh, so that's why, you know, as Thinklings, we really strongly encourage you to think and think better. Uh, Lewis is going to push you in that direction where you're going to have to really think. Uh, a lot of times when I'm recommending a reading group or telling somebody, hey, you should uh, get together with a group of friends and read a book. A Lewis book's a great book to read because you can read a little bit of it and then you can kind of ask, what is he saying here? Uh, and you'll have to think about it. Um, I recommend Abolition of Man as one of those kinds of books. And Four Loves is actually a great book to read through as a group uh, because it's talking about like that friendship component of love. And sometimes you're going to read through and it's like, what in the world is he saying here? Uh, and sometimes even after reading him a few times, I still ask myself that question, what is he saying here? And sometimes I'm like, I don't really care. And then I just keep going. But uh, at least it pushes you uh, to think. And that's one of the benefits of Lewis. I think probably the first thing that drew me into him if, and I don't think I would have said this at the time. I just looking back, I think the issue is it is thinking, but it's clarity. So I know that sounds weird because some of his stuff is convoluted, but when he sees something and he's so perceptive and he points it out, usually the light bulb goes on for me because he clarified something. So the classic example for me is I'm reading mere Christianity for the first time. And I have some problems with Lewis, which we'll talk about later, which this book actually has some, but one of the the great things was he lays out this moral argument for God's existence. And in it, he's talking about this, that everyone knows there's like a moral law. And he says, let's say you and your friend are, are sharing an orange and you're splitting it and your, your friend splits it in half and gives you the small half. And you look at him and you say, hey, that's not fair. And I thought in my mind, first time I read that, oh, that's it. You know there's fairness and that's his point. And it wasn't. He says, it's not that you know fairness exists and it's a moral law or it's like a moral rule. 
It's that you know it, and without ever talking to that other person, you expect they know it too. And that to me was like the mind-blown moment where, oh, he's really seeing something that is true, but I hadn't noticed it. And he, he does the same thing in um, a lot of his other books. So like right now I'm working through Four Loves when we're recording this for next semester or for the next couple of weeks for you, listener. And he's, he's talking about one of the aspects of love that made me look back and understand how a former uh, friendship I had had sort of fallen apart. And what he was talking about in this one aspect, wow, I'd, I'd never noticed it. And it was right there. So I think there's something about him where he notices and observes things and he's very clear in explaining them. I think that's helpful. I don't know how to see the way he sees. I wish I could see more like he notices. I think that would be helpful. So listener, if you read him, I think there's that part of thinking that's good. Yeah. So I'm going to piggyback on top of that and say, and we'll get into this in a moment, that uh, he would be thinking in the framework of the the pre-modern mind. Yeah. And the way that I, you know, we, we get into like a pre-modern or a modern or a post-modern, and we, we've talked about that type of stuff a number of times on the podcast. Essentially, what do we mean when we're, you know, we're exalting someone who thinks with a pre-modern mind? It's that they have a worldview that we trust. And, and we could talk about theological quandaries of Lewis where we wouldn't actually uh, agree with him. Uh, and maybe you need to be aware of some of these things as you interact with him. But the way he thinks, the, the framework of his imagination of how he views reality and thinks through life in that reality is very consistent. And, uh, and I think that's helpful. You know, Tim talked about thinking and he talked about like thinking really clearly. And I think, I think the, the benefit is you, is you use Lewis as a, I don't know what the right word is, maybe a, a template or a design of how you should approach problems and think them through. Uh, you're going to find that he has a very trustworthy and consistent worldview. I think a worldview that yeah. you would trust. Yep. Um, more often than not, if you apply the, that template to how you should approach difficulty, you would find a consistent way of working through uh, a philosophical or logical uh, question or problem. And I think that's what is so unique about him, that from within a, a standpoint of objective truth, and, and this is a broad term, but within Christianity broadly as an Anglican who has very Catholic leanings, but still within a dedicated Christian worldview, you can trust the way he thinks about the biggest problems of life. And I think that is, yeah, is a helpful thing. Yep. Another help. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I, I um, another helpful thing I was going to say is listener, he, his, 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 um, rejecting of Christianity and then his trying to live life as an atheist and it not working. I think that's another super huge benefit to him. When you read Surprised by Joy, yeah, he walks you through how life is unlivable if you are going to say there's no God, especially uh, when he wants to like call God uh, unjust, but he can't say there's a standard of justice if there's no God. He just he really demonstrates you can't live it, and then he shows. Uh, it's, what is it? What does he call himself? Um, he's like super begrudging when he wants to convert. He doesn't want to become a Christian, but he's like, there's no reluctant. Yeah. The reluctant, he's the reluctant convert. That's like what some people called. Oh, that's McGrath's uh, subtitle. 
Is it really? Yeah, I think it's a reluctant convert. Uh, well, then there's the the oh, what's it called? Um, Fellowship of Performing Arts. They have the the show going around yes. right now. There's actually a yep. film, The Most Reluctant Convert. It's it's very good. I, I would say. I think, yeah. Did I talk about that on a previous episode? Did you? Our, our film oh, yeah, club yeah, yeah, yeah. got the the rights to show it on campus, and so we watched it one night. And uh, I thought, and it's it's an actor, Max McLean, who I think that's how you say his name, who he is playing Lewis as like a first person, as an older Lewis, and walking you through the stages of his younger life mm. and as, how he progressed to understand. Yeah. And it's 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 fascinating. It's probably not. I wouldn't say like an entry level, like I would, I would probably try to read surprised by joy first and then watch it. Like as always, you read the book first, right? Um, (laughs) Got to get those punches in early in the year or, or listen. (laughs) I'm joking. Stop. I just want to see Tim roll his eyes. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, I think it's, it's actually done really well, but Mm -hmm. um, how do we, how do we get on this ball? I think his form being a former atheist and then turning back and not he's like sort of painted into a corner he painted himself into a corner and he had to submit i think that's beneficial yeah um i think that's beneficial yeah and i think uh i'm kind of surprised tim didn't already say this but maybe he will say something about it when i mention it i think what's so good about lewis and this is kind of building off of the worldview and the mind that we trust he has a very correct view of the affections like as a human, how should I be affected? What should I love? How should I cultivate loves and things like that? And I think he he does it really well in his own um, creative writings, where he's stirring the proper affections for children through Narnia and things like that. Even screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's another thing that you can really benefit from. Why why would you re- not just read Lewis, but why would you read Lewis's fiction? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Actually, uh, I think Narnia is probably, obviously, the pinnacle of this. But for uh, getting into the realm of children's literature, that is also from a good or much better worldview and and has Christian theology. You're not going to find something that cultivates affections that way uh, as well. And there are some like in that discussion, maybe. But there's a reason why it's a Christian classic. Mm-hmm. And I think for a young child to read uh, Narnia is going to stir them in a way that you'd want them to be stirred. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I don't know if I'd put it that high, but it's definitely a Christian classic that's going to help cultivate the affections. Yeah. There's been some newer fiction that's been released. Uh, just thinking of like Wing Feather and uh, yeah. Green Ember, where yeah. uh, and, and the funny thing is that these both of these authors are are basically writing with Lewis and what yes. Lewis was trying to do in mind. Yep. Uh, so they're kind of continuing his heritage, uh, but cultivating the affections, uh, shaping the desires of uh, the next generation so that they want the right things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would. It's 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 hard to compare them one to another, but. I just think Lewis develops uh, a story much. I think, I don't think Lewis was like this on his own, but I think it kind of rubbed off on him spending time with Tolkien. Yeah. And I just think his world is, is better. I, I don't know how to describe that in both of his worlds. When he gets to, you know, out of the silent planet oh, and he's telling you all so these good. things that are happening, like it's just, it's just a good, I don't know. It's just, there's, there's a, maybe a second layer to it. 
that isn't in those other things. But that's someone I, I've read and listened through Wingfeather multiple times too, and it definitely stirs your affections well. Accomplishes the same goal. So we've said some good things about why you should read Lewis. What would be some of the negatives or drawbacks to Lewis or maybe just like asterisks that we might want to be aware of sure. when we read through mm-hmm. Lewis? Uh, Lewis is a philosopher, so his writings are helpful for thinking. Uh, he's an apologist, so again, it's going to mm-hmm. help you with thinking. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really seen a verse reference in any of his books. Have you? He has a an essay or a book on the Psalms, and it's pretty bad. He he. Yeah. Uh, so he, that's he, getting he, to he, my he, point: is well, that he's he, not a biblicist he, or an exegete. Well, and he and he will mention a Bible verse at the beginning of the Four Loves. He'll get into this like God mm-hmm. is love discussion. Yeah. Um, from First John, but so this gets back to weight of glory. Sorry, weight of glory. Yeah. The whole thing is a sermon. So what in particular about Lewis, how Lewis interacts with scripture, what might be some like undercurrents to why it's so bad? Do you guys have any thoughts there? I do. I do. Uh, No, I don't. I just would say that's one of the problems with Lewis. What he says a lot of times is very good. And I'm like, why don't you bring up Job 28 here? Why aren't you bringing up Ecclesiastes here? And the reason is because he's not a biblicist. He's a philosopher and he's an apologist. So that's one of my criticisms. Go ahead. Your turn. He never went to Bible college. Oh, that's the problem. You need to come to Bible college, listener. It's actually, I I think I could confidently say that a student at faith has a better Bible knowledge than Lewis did. Absolutely. Yep. He was never trained theologically. And he actually admits that fact. And that's what I was going to say. I thought, I wonder if you're going to say the same thing. He says, I'm not, wh- where, I wish I had the quote on my, yeah, I'm not either. a theologian and I'll leave this to the theologians. It I only see myself first, as a it novice. Might be in the four loves. I can't remember. Well, I've read it and I haven't read the four loves. So it, a simple Google search will do it. Yeah. But no, I, I would say that, the listener can look no, it up. I would, I would agree. I think that's part of it. Number yeah. one, he doesn't see himself as a theologian because he knows he's not trained as a theologian. Not that you, l- listener, you don't need to be trained. Everyone's a theologian because you have thoughts on God. Absolutely. Like it's just if you're better or not or worse. And I think Lewis, if you think about it, the arc of his life, he grows up in this um, state church, sort of quasi Protestant Catholic denomination known as the Anglican Church. He's not really believing it. Totally rejects it and walks down. I mean, he he's he's dabbling in cults and mysticisms and magic, a whole bunch of random stuff, like all that stuff. Yeah. And and doesn't I mean, uh, is it Barfield who's the, one of his uh, buddies? He's like, they're like dabbling in some sort of magic, and he leaves it. And then the other guy is it anthropos anthroposophism? Oh, or? Well, that, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily. Maybe we're in the weeds. Maybe I'm in the weeds. Anthroposophy is a thing that Bo- Barfield was Barfield. with, he, but like. So you'd think break down the word anthro, yeah. man, posophy, Sophia, wisdom. So it's like mm-hmm. human wisdom. And it's very, it's a, a very similar like philosophical okay. thing. I, I don't know how I think I'm thinking mystical that became. Because he was kind of a, he was, when he was an atheist, I'm just I've trying to say, seen. and it's ironic because you see this today. As an atheist, he doesn't just believe in nothing or only science and verificationism he goes he starts to be drawn to like the pagan arts yeah and so then when he gets converted he's like what late 30s and so your late 30s you're an english language 
philologist and you're not a theologian, you're a philosopher. And so I think that's, he's got 30 years of sort of apologetics ministry, but he doesn't have seminary or college or, or church training. And so what's interesting is you, th- you look at how rational and reasonable he is. I know. <laughs> and you just get the feeling like if he would have just read the epistles and like, well, hey, yeah. Clive, wh- what do you think Paul meant when he wrote that? Like read read through the New Testament and let's think about the sacraments. You you would think that a mind like that would easily conclude yeah. that you know it's not some like mystical mm-hmm. transubstantiation or consubstantiation. But I don't think he ever felt uh, qualified in a church setting to like be dogmatic on it. I I, I think he would have felt. It's I ha- would have to yeah. find that quote, but I think he felt inadequate to yep. comment theologically on things. Mm-hmm. It's like he knew where he was an expert and he knew that was not the field. Yeah. So trust the experts. Yep. The problem is when you trust the experts and you're within like the Anglican or Catholic church, you might yeah. have some mm-hmm. theological problems there. Well, and he, in his Psalms, I think it's in the Psalms work, which is escaping me. He, he denies inerrancy. Yeah. And that was and, another thing. And then the other thing I would say on that same route is what's his main influence when it comes to Christianity? It's medievalism. Yeah. And so I think that like, isn't there a book, the medieval worldview you were reading or you were reading Lewis's medieval worldview? Um, Discarded image is okay. about, uh, there's a newer title and it's CS Lewis in the medieval world. Or yeah. Something I think that's like the that. medieval oh, okay. mind or whatever. Yeah, the medieval mind. That was and so it. again, though, that would make sense. Well, if I you're... think he talks about that too in the discarded image Okay, where he, he, he very much so favored the theological and artistic sways of the, mm-hmm. of the middle ages. And I think so on the theological route, the, the, the obvious one that most people know about is his, is the last battle of Nernia. And so there's these two sides. There's the, Kalormans and there's the uh, Telmarines. Is that the others? The good guys? Who are the good guys? Oh, uh, that sounds right. Let's okay. go with it. We'll, we'll go with the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys fight for, for Aslan and the bad guys fight for a demon called Tash or Tosh Tash, T-A-S-H. And so there's a Kalorman who's on that side at the very end of the book. Sorry, reader, you're going to get a spoiler here. And the Kalorman is at the gate of Narnia and he's totally freaked out because he sees Aslan and he realizes his entire life he spent worshiping Tash and serving Tash with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. And now he sees Aslan and he's like, oh no. And he, so he's really nervous. But then what Aslan does is he says, you did not know me, but you served uh, like with all your heart. And so whatever you, you worship, you gave to Tash, I count to me, enter now true Narnia, my servant. And so that is a form of Christian inclusivism. And it's a very Catholic position. So the Catholics are saying the post-Vatican II documents say that if a person's never heard of Christ, but the light that they have, they live uh, according to it, God will accept them into heaven. And so that's a huge problem with Lewis. And if he hadn't written this, The Last Battle, I don't know if we would have known that. Um, But that also goes in line with the problem with mere Christianity. So Mere Christianity is a book about defending basic Christianity and he doesn't want to get into denominational specifics. And so he, he, he uses this illustration of a house. And so in the house are different rooms and one room is like the sitting room and that's like say Methodism. And then like the next room is like a dining hall and that's like Anglicanism. Oh, or, well, I feel like that'd be the Baptist. Yeah, that would be the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. The dining hall. <laughs> <laughs> You're horrendous. That was 
perfect right now, Charlie. That was just so perfect. So then, and, and certainly I, not the bar. Well, okay, that's the Presbyterians. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but, but, oh, this is okay. But the listener, the point is, it doesn't really matter what the rooms what are. What about the hot tub? All the uh, Bethel Church. That. <laughs> I'm sorry. So. So there's all these different rooms, and his point is that <laughs> the hot tubs outside the house on the porch. Actually, yeah. The, well, no, they can't be in the and, porch. You'll see why in a moment. So we all can't the, mention who's in that hot. Tub, every right? analogy falls apart yeah. after a while. The point is that once you go in the house, there's a room you're going to go live in, and he says, "I don't really care which room you get." My, my point is not to get you into one specific room. He's like, "I just want you into the porch, the entryway, because once you're in the entryway, you're technically in the home." But he doesn't care which room you go into. The problem is that he equates all denominations as equal, including the Catholic church, which he has to, otherwise Tolkien, his buddy would be totally offended. But by the end of his life, like you pointed out with the sacraments, he's leaning into Catholic, which is very Anglican, by the what way. I, what I mean when I said, I don't know if I actually said that on air or not. It oh, been sorry. Just like a side comment. But he, he, at the end of his life is very devout in the taking of the sacraments. And, uh, you could, you could, I don't know if he ever comments on it personally, but, um, even I, uh, this is where I should have brushed up on this, but I think that he would even like want people to bring it to him. Yes. Yep. Like when mm-hmm. he was ill and couldn't yep. go to the church, like he would yep. want people to bring him the sacraments. And you start thinking yeah. like, why was that such a big deal mm-hmm. for him? And is it like in our view, like the, the fellowship of the church and, you mm-hmm. know, like he wants to remember, or is it like, I'm missing something that I should be getting here. Yeah. You know, like I, I want to make sure I'm secure, like that type of a, which, which would be very yeah. present in uh, mainstream denominations with the sacraments. And the other thing, maybe just a quick history tidbit listener. Um, the Anglican church is the, is the, is the Catholic church in England but Henry VIII wants a divorce and wants to quit paying money to the Vatican that he's not getting any return on. So he forms his own church, calls it the Church of England. That's why it's the Anglican Church. And essentially, it's just Roman Catholic. But during the Reformation, differing uh, like Henry VIII's son comes to power and he leans Protestant because his tutors have been very Protestant. So he pushes the church in a Protestant direction. They get rid of the kneelers, the icons, the candles. But then he dies and another half-sister, Mary, comes to the throne. And why does she get the name Bloody Mary? Because she kills like 3,000 Protestants and she brings it all back to Catholic. And this, the, the, when you say Protestant, you're talking like the Huguenots here, right? Yeah, I'm talking about like the Re- Reformation. It's a Hug- probably we would say Huguenots, but... Yeah, Huguenots. Yeah, Huguenots. Huguenot. Those would be Protestants. You'd have the Lutherans, the um, Presbyterians, the Reformed Church in, in France and in Geneva, uh the Presbyterians up in Scotland, I believe with John Knox, the, the, all of that would be Protestantism. Yep. And that would be like the five solas. Um, but you're still getting some baby baptizing and whatnot. That was part of the things they fought over. But when Queen Mary comes to power in England, you have to understand that the monarch in England is the head of the Anglican church. And so she's got to figure out a way to hold her church together. So what she does doctrinally is she says, look, individual Anglican churches, you guys can run it more Protestant or more Catholic. I don't care as long as you support me. So historically, the Anglican church has sort of had one foot in Rome and one foot in the Reformation, and it's very accommodating. So when when Lewis at times talks almost like a Protestant and then later talks like a Catholic, that's very Anglican. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's, like you're saying, that's that's one of the cautions for our listeners is you're going to get that. And 
in the screw tape letters, purgatory comes up like three times at least. And you, and you want to be intellectually, uh, fair to not read your ideas into what he's saying. And I think it's really easy to do that with Lewis yep. because you love what he's written. You love one of his stories. You love one of his books. You want to see him in the best light possible, which is actually virtuous. Mm-hmm. Love hopes all things. The reality is, is if you had a confessional statement from him, um, and we, we're obviously speaking from within a doctrinal system at faith, uh, we would have multiple doctrinal yep. differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the biggest ones would be the I- inclusivism and the inerrancy mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. But there are others obviously sprinkled throughout there where he would <laughs> definitely yeah. not agree with us on a lot of other things. Um, but so just as always, you read with discernment. Yep. And you you try not to read your ideas into someone. You try to understand what they're actually saying. Um, yeah. I think another, um, well, I guess we're on the negatives. I have one more positive. I don't know if now's the right time to add it. Do we have more negatives? That's, I have sacraments, purgatory, mere Christianity, and inclusivism written down. Okay. And then we talked about the inerrancy issue. Yeah, and that's that's there's there's a lot you could find about that because there, there's differences of opinion of like yep. how far yeah. was he away from like biblical inerrancy, yep. like the Chicago statement discussions and stuff yep. like that. Like how far was he from that? And uh, there, there's a lot of differences of opinion, but that that gets into his whole like he and Tolkien of like you know, is Genesis just another myth? But it's the true yeah. myth, and mm-hmm. you know like how they would even begin to start interpreting some of the stories of the Old Testament. Um, it's funny because we were off air talking about Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And, I wondered if that was and I to save that or bring that up. Well, I, I just get the sense that Peterson would probably interpret a lot of the Old Testament in a similar way that Lewis would. Yep. He's not taking it at face value. He's not looking at it from an authorial intent standpoint of like, you know, this is a real author communicating to real recipients and there's practical application. A lot of it's going to be a myth. It's going to be a principle. It's going to be like, what's the the hidden meaning behind the story? And I I, I can't say that definitively of Jordan Peterson. I've just mm-hmm. heard uh, a few clips of him talking about some things, and it's. But I, I would get the sense that kind of the sounds really good from a philosophical logical standpoint might even be right in the realm of practical wisdom. But yeah. how he gets there from his interpretation of a passage is horrendous. It is. Yep. And so I feel like that would be a really good modern equivalent theologically to Lewis. And I, I don't know how you'd compare them in cross-section, but very intelligent, a worldview that you even maybe like and trust. Yeah. But when it comes to interpreting scripture, you're like, eh, yep. I don't yep. know. I'd almost say like, uh, so in broad evangelicalism today, Another name that comes to mind in our conversation, but I'll clarify why it's not, is, you know, good old Bonnie, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm. So I think people love him because he says a couple of things that resonate. But when you look very closely at Bonhoeffer, it becomes clear he's probably not a Christian or he's just a Christian existentialist, like a neo-Orthodox guy like Paul Tillich, perhaps, or Rudolf Bultmann. But I would say that, like, Peterson's not making any bones about being a Christian. Like he says he's not, he says he's, he's drawn to it. And in that sense, I think that's why he's, he's much more helpful than someone like Bonhoeffer. Whereas like Lewis, I think he actually is a Christian. Yeah. He's just got problems. So I definitely put Lewis here, but I would put Peterson in that neighborhood because of what you said. He's got, 
he's critiquing in like a reality way many times, but then I'm not going to him as my uh, feeder source for scriptural input. Yeah. It's like you, you can't don't try to find more meaning in Lewis than what is in, in that. That's good advice. I like that. Like, can he really help you cultivate your mind and your affections in certain ways? Absolutely. But when he starts talking about if or rarely he starts talking about scripture, you start trying to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's he's not at he, he's not perfect. Yeah, he's not always wrong, but he's no. he's definitely not. Perfect. I think he'd he'd fall into the category. He has a lot of great conclusions, mm-hmm. but the way he got there, especially like, scripture, he, he's yeah. not. A lot of times, he's not arguing scripturally, yeah. and if he was, you'd probably not agree with the way he got mm-hmm. there. Any other thoughts? I would say. Um, What's your last positive? Did you already say that? No, I'll, I'll say it right now. I've got two. And this might even be so a, a final question. Perhaps we could bat around and then I'll give you my positive within it. Why, I do need to go. Rather oh, that's soon right. Here. Why was he? Why has he had such a big impact and such a long lasting effect? And I think it would come down to my last positive. I forgot to mention. He's really good with creativity. He uses creativity. Well. And so a lot of what he is known for is creative thinking. Like even screw tape letters, it is fiction, but it's meant to address an issue, temptation. Pilgrim's Regress, it is fiction, but it's meant to address the Christian life. Narnia, Space Trilogy, uh, a lot of the stuff he writes is creative, but it's deep. And I think that's where Peterson and Smith and so many others have drawn help. So I would just use this to listener. If you like to write stuff or you're creative, don't like brush that off like it doesn't matter. You can actually use that for good and it can actually be something that can serve the Lord well. So I think that's part of like my last final good I would say is he was creative and I think that was part of his long-term effect. Yeah. You got anything? Nope. (laughs) I unmuted just to say nope. Nope. All right. Well, hopefully uh, giving you some things to think about. Maybe you have some things you want to study some more. And uh, maybe we've convinced you not to read Lewis. Uh, Maybe you should just uh, skip like the next month of podcasts because (laughs) we're going to read through the four loves and we're going to talk about it. Uh, Obviously, we think the good far outweighs the bad with Lewis. And uh, we've chosen he he and his friend's paradigm for learning and growing to apply to ourselves. That's why we get together. We're going to apply it to the word too. We're not going to just agree with him on every single point either. We, We try to, we try to. We'll fill, we'll try to fill some gaps in maybe and build a, a theology of, of the loves that he's maybe just logically thinking through. And I would say that probably what we've been trying to accomplish in this episode is to ourselves be Bereans. And perhaps that's something you can take away. So we really do like Lewis, but we do want to analyze and like, and question him from like a God's word standpoint. And uh, so I would just say that whatever you're doing in life, whatever you find interesting, remember to go back to the word and consider it in, in, uh, in light of the truth of the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.